and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. Recently, my family and I re-watched um, the 1985 screen adaption, adaptation of um, Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables, that, that's based on a very famous book, which turned into be a series of children's books. And many of you are probably familiar with the story. It's a wonderful story about uh, an orphan girl, and it's set in the, in the late 19th century in, at Prince Edward Island in Canada. And it tells this story about this girl who spent her whole life growing up in orphanages. And most of that time actually being in different, um, not really foster homes because that's not, to, to say that gives you the modern day picture of that, but because orphanages had more kids than they could handle, what they would do at that time and at that place anyway, would be they would place them in the home of anybody that basically wanted free labor, the older kids. And Anne had spent her life really just being used by different families to take care of their kids, to clean, to do whatever they wanted her to do. In all of these situations, she was very much used. She was not loved at all. And she was very unloved, unvalued, and neglected. And then all of that changes when she comes to stay with a family who initially were looking also for someone that would just be a help. In fact, they weren't even looking for a girl. They were looking for a boy who would help them with the, the chores in the farm. It was an older couple, not couple as in married couple, but a brother and sister that had a farm on Prince Edward Island and they mistakenly end up with Anne when they're looking for a boy of about 12 or 13 to help out with the farm work. They weren't just going to use him in the way that other families had used Anne. They you know, were kind people and they would have taken care of him and treated him kindly. But again, they weren't looking for someone that they necessarily were even going to adopt, although that was an option. They thought that they might go ahead and adopt this child if it really would work out. And then instead they get this girl, this very imaginative girl, that when they realize a mistake has been made, they debate whether or not they should send her back. Matthew the, the gentleman, the brother, he immediately takes a liking to Anne, and he wants for her to stay. His sister, um, 
Marilla, who is a lot more practical, she wants to send her back because the mistake has been made, and, and she asks the question, I don't know what difference she can make for us. And Matthew's reply is, well, maybe we can make a difference for her. And so they take her in, and the book, as the book unfolds, they come to greatly love her, and she comes to greatly love them. And she's very imaginative, and there's all kinds of different adventures and a lot of fun things, and very heartwarming if you know the story. It's a great family story. But when she arrives there at first at Prince Edward Island, everybody looks down their nose at her. You know, orphans, they were people, they were, they were unlike to most of us, they were just looked down on. Rather than recognized as this was someone who's already had a really rough start in life, they were unvalued and they were suspect. And so everybody kind of looked down their nose at Anne when she first arrived, but by the time she grew up and left, instead everybody was looking up to her. They made a difference, Matthew and Marilla made a difference in Anne's life, and because of that, she became someone very special. The world's filled with people like Anne, not necessarily orphans, but people that are unloved, people that are unvalued, people that are not special to anyone, people that have been ignored and people that have been used. And that's the case still today, as it was back 100 years, 150 or more years ago. And it's the way that it's always been. The world has always had so many people that nobody cared about, nobody loved, nobody thought that they were special in any way. But you know who did think that those unloved were special? that they were worth doing something for, helping, giving their life for? Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Jesus Christ came for those people that were the ones that no one else did love. He didn't come to help the people that believed that they so had together that they didn't need his help. He came for the ones that no one else would help. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 10 it says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. There he was with these publicans and sinners. You know, publicans. You know, back in, Publicans were tax collectors. It's still not a job that a lot of people look at those do it favorably, but in that culture, they were really looked down on. They weren't just looked down on because nobody likes giving up their money to you know, the government. 
They were looked down on because tax collectors at that time had a reputation for being dishonest, for basically you know, taking more than what they should and pocketing the rest. But Jesus Christ didn't look at people the way that others did. He didn't care what they did. He didn't care if they were a tax collector or a sinner, if they were a harlot, or if they were anything. It didn't matter. He came to help all. He came to love them, and he loved those unlovable. He loved all men, and his followers weren't just comprised of the publicans and sinners. They were comprised of fishermen and tradesmen. You had people in all walks of life in every different socioeconomic strata. But the ones that really got noticed were those that others wouldn't begin to touch. The Pharisees thought, how can this man possibly be with them? like the one particular Pharisee, a fellow as we know as Simon, who invites Jesus Christ to his house for dinner one day. And when Jesus Christ comes in, there's a woman there, and that woman, she does all these things for Jesus. She, you know, massages him with, with oil and washes his feet with her, a bottle of her tears. She does all of these things showing her love and thankfulness for him. And this Pharisee Simon is thinking within himself, if Jesus knew what manner of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. He can't be a prophet. He can't be a prophet or else he'd have nothing to do with her. And Jesus Christ reproves him and tells him that when I came in, you didn't do any of the things that you would normally do for a guest. You didn't wash my feet, but she's done it with her tears. You didn't do all these things that would be the way that you would properly treat a guest, but she has. And he tells them that those that, to whom much is forgiven, they love much. And to those who little is forgiven, they love little. You know, it's a wonderful record, and every time I read it, I always think, was it that Simon didn't need to be forgiven? Well, that wasn't the case. But Simon didn't think that he needed to be forgiven. It's like the record in Luke chapter 18, Luke 18 and verse 9. And he, Jesus Christ, spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Well, that's how Simon was. Simon trusted in himself that he was righteous and he despised others. Those men that criticized Jesus Christ for, for hanging out with the publicans and sinners, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised those publicans and sinners. They despised those downer and outers, those ones that, that you know, didn't come from the right backgrounds. And he tells this parable, verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So you've got a Pharisee who... In the eyes of everybody in that temple, this was someone special. And this publican, who wasn't anybody special at all, in fact, if anything, he was somebody to be despised because he was a publican, because he was a tax collector. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. 
that's within himself. And this is another one of those ones where he doesn't say that he said it out loud, but Jesus Christ knows what he's doing here. He prays within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. You know, I, this is like, this. every time I read this record, it always tickles me. I, I think it's one of the most hilarious things in the whole Word of God. Because I can just picture it. I can, pick, can you picture if we're right now we're in fellowship and somebody, you know, okay, anybody like to pray? And this guy starts to pray and says, God, I thank you that I am so wonderful, that I'm so righteous, that I'm so great, that I'm, you know, not one of those terrible adulterers, that I'm not one of those terrible thieves, that I'm not like that guy. <laughs> and that's what he does. That's what he does. He goes on, verse 12, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He really thought he had something to pat himself on the back for, didn't he? And if you judge just by the outward appearance, if you only look at the outward actions, well, I guess you'd have to sort of agree with them, wouldn't you? Because what he was doing, those were good things to do. It was good that he fasted at that time. Not we, we don't need to do it now, but it was good that he was doing it in that time. It was great that he tied, and it's good that he wasn't an extortioner or a fornicator or all those things. So if you judge just on the outward appearance, why, I guess the fellow was right. But what does Jesus Christ say? And the publican, verse 13, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful unto me, a sinner. This fellow didn't have such a high opinion of himself. He didn't come in there saying to God, you know, I'm so great that you ought to move over and make a special place for me in heaven. Instead, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He recognized that he needed forgiveness. He recognized he was like that woman that, that treated Jesus Christ so wonderfully. He recognized that he was a sinner. He recognized that he did make mistakes. He didn't think he was so perfect. You know, Jesus Christ came for all men, but not all men accepted what he came to do for them. Because some people thought that they didn't need his help. They thought they were doing just fine without him. And yeah, it's great, you know, same way today, same way today. There's lots of people out there that think, well, I don't need God. I don't need the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need the Bible. I'm doing fine without it. And that's great that it can help you guys that, you know, are former drug addicts or former alcoholics or former, former adulterers or, you know, that you're still doing this, that, or the other. Great that it's, you know, that's good. It'll help you guys, but... I'm a good guy. I live a good life. I don't need this. I don't need that help. A lot of people have that attitude. Well, what did Jesus say? Verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus Christ said that the one who humbled himself would be exalted, and the one that made himself great 
thought he was so wonderful, he would be brought down. We're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, as we saw in the Word of God recently. You know, all of us are imperfect. And I don't care how together somebody looks on the outside or how full of problems, life falling apart they look, it's all the same with God. It's all the same with God. But Jesus Christ came to make a difference. And he made a difference for those people, and he continues to make a difference in the lives of anyone that will accept it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, because man and God had been separated. It started with Adam, we saw that recently. But God and man were separated. And man was without God. And Jesus Christ came to bring man back to him. He came for the lost sheep. He came to bring them back. And there's so many of the wonderful parables about that kind of thing. And he did it not just for them at that time, but all today, whosoever will believe. He didn't come to impute men's trespasses, to point out sin. That's not what he was about. It's not what we're about. And the Word of God is not there to point out man's faults and his failures and his shortcomings. That's not the purpose of it. It's not to make us sin conscious or to feel unworthy or to feel little. The world will do a great job of that already. The world will make people feel unloved. The world will make people feel that they're not special. That somehow they fall short. But God's word tells us that all men fall short, but that he has made us worthy. And he has made us special. Look at John chapter 14. At the end of Jesus Christ's ministry, here, this is on John chapter 14, is right before Jesus Christ is going to be arrested. It's right at the very end of his ministry. And he's teaching his disciples some very important last minute things and preparing them for what is about to happen, preparing them for the fact that he will be taken, that he will be crucified, that he will die that he'll be resurrected, but also that then he'll be leaving. And in chapter 14, verse 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. He's teaching them about the coming gift of Holy Spirit. That gift of Holy Spirit that people receive at the time that they get born again. At the time that a person confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, 
and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, at that time they're saved. At that time they become born again of God's Spirit. You don't have to do it in front of anybody. You don't have to go down to an altar. You do it anywhere. And if you've done it at any point in time in your life, you're saved. You're heaven-bound, and all hell can't stop you. And you are born again of God's Spirit. And at that moment, you become somebody very special. You become somebody very special, and everything changes. Everything changes. Jesus Christ was telling these things and preparing them for the fact that he was going to be leaving them. But telling them that they would not be left alone. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And that word comfortless, that's in the King James, it's not a good translation of the word. The word comes from the Greek word or orphanos. Doesn't take a lot to try to guess what word we get from orphanos, does it? Orphan. And that's how it's translated in most other more modern versions. I'll just read a translation from the Christian Standard Bible of verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Jesus Christ didn't leave them as orphans. We have not been left as orphans. Orphans that were unloved. Orphans that, had, that were not special, not loved, because they didn't have anyone to care for them. They didn't belong to anybody. They weren't anybody's kids. Well, we're God's kids. We're not alone. And we're not unloved. We're loved by the Father. And we are valued so greatly that God was willing to give the life of His only begotten Son so that we could be His. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about the state that we had been in and how it changed. In verse 11, Wherefore remember, this is something that we need to remember, to not ever lose sight of, to not ever lose sight of where we were at before Jesus Christ came in. Remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were hopeless, literally, you know, some of us knew, yeah, I'm pretty hopeless. Well, we were all hopeless before God came in. We were hopeless and we were without God. And boy, that's not a place you want to be. You don't want to be that orphan wandering around this world. You don't want to be without your heavenly Father. Because no matter how wonderful your own earthly parents were, they can't take care of you the way that our heavenly Father can. And as great as anybody love you, you know... Most of us don't come from the kind of background of being an orphan, unloved, you know. But no matter how, what a wonderful family you might have come from, and no matter how loved you were, the Father in heaven, His love is so much greater than all of that. And what we have is His sons. 
makes us so special and gives us so much. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. He did this for us. We couldn't do it. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed a Savior. We needed help. And he made us all worthy, all special. No one, no matter what you come from, is any less than anyone else. No one, no matter who you are or what you have, is any greater. We're all the same. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your education is. It doesn't matter what your, whether you come from you know, great wealth or great poverty. I've known believers personally that were heads of governments. And I've known believers personally that came from the Hells Angels and the Mafia. I've known people that have done horrible, horrific things that, you know, if I ever told you, you'd be hard-pressed to believe that this person ever could get saved because they did such terrible things. And I've known other people that look like, you know, they pretty much were a good guy. But you know what? None of that matters. There's a section we won't look at tonight, but in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about his background and his life. And on the five senses level, boy, he came from, you know, all the right, he came from the great, you know, he was a blue blood. He came from the right lineage, the family that was respected. He came from the best institutions, the best teaching centers. He was a man of position and prominence, a man that was on the Senate. All these, these, you know, five senses criteria that made him something really special. And he said all of that he considered to be nothing but a pile of horse manure that he could gain Christ. None of it mattered. None of it matters. No one is any better than other. God is no respecter of persons. We're all sitting at the same lunch table here. We're all on the same team, you know. We've all got the same status. No one's any worse. Nobody's any greater because all of us It's not what we've done, but what Christ did for us. That's our standing. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he has chosen us in him. God chose us. He chose you, you know just like they chose that little girl. God chose you. He picked you. He said, I want that one. I want that one. And somebody, oh, you, you, you got to be kidding. Who would want that one? <laughs> but God chose you. And he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God chose us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. That's a phrase I want to take a minute here to talk about because some of you may have heard different, that taught and explained in different ways and, and that translation being 
translated in different ways. Some have been presented with the understanding of that verse that it just means that we are been given sonship, while others and at other times have been taught that it is the adoption of children. And those that have sat under the teaching ministry of, of Dr. Victor Paul Wirrell, depending on when you heard him teach this, you may have heard one or you may have heard the other. Both truths are applicable to us. We are sons of God by birth. Like I said a few minutes ago, with the, at the time that you get born again, at the time you confess Jesus Christ as Lord, believe God risen from the dead, you are born again. And you are a son of God by birth at that moment. And it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, that we are born again of incorruptible seed. That we cannot lose that. That it is seed within us. And we will always be God's sons by seed. So that is a truth. And that is a truth that applies to us. That we are sons by birth. But there is another truth that's expressed in this verse that doesn't replace what I just said, but adds to it. That not only are we sons by birth, but we are also sons by adoption. And that has to do with the Greek and Roman laws that applied at the time that this was written. And this is expressing a truth in light of that culture. It's not one that we normally think of as being an Eastern custom or idiom, but it is nonetheless that. Because under Roman and Greek law, you could disown a son, but you could not disown an adopted one. And they had all the rights and privileges that were irrevocable for all time. That's us. We are sons by adoption. We are sons by birth. And we can never lose that. And that makes us someone very special. God bless you. You can't bring me down. The word is on my mind.